God is so good. Listen, over the last year or so now, stay here. You're, you're here now. It's time to work. <laughs> um, over the last year, I've had the privilege to travel twice to Rwanda. Uh, on the first trip, um, I knew that there was something unique and different about that experience. I traveled all over the world as a Marine and even for the gospel. And um, Rwanda, for one other reason, gets in your skin when you're there, gets in your soul and your bones. It may have something to do with the history, which I'm sure you'll share in your message. But on my second trip, I had the privilege of meeting a father in the faith, um, the father of the reconciliation movement in Rwanda, which is Bishop John. Um, it is not a overstatement to say that he is a living legend and a hero of the faith, father in the faith apostolically. Thank you for receiving me as a Thank son. You. I appreciate it so graciously. And um, for us in America, the only thing that we could, the only figure that I could imagine that has had more influence on the fabric of our society that, that I could compare would be Martin Luther King. This is Rwanda's equivalent of, of a man of God that laid his life down during a tumultuous season of chaos and, and, and just murder and mayhem that was the genocide in Rwanda. And as the blood was still running, and as you have said in your book, as you stood on the bones of those that were stacked high, you began to reconcile perpetrators and survivors together. Bishop John, it is a distinct honor and privilege to make way so that you can minister the word of God in this house. We give you complete liberty and access to our hearts today to minister the word. Would you please give Bishop John a big hand this morning? Thank you, sir. Good afternoon. <laughs> For those I have uh, not had chance to greet or hug or shake hands, greetings. And uh, I saw some people who look from Africans jumble. There, there are Africans uh, here who don't know jumble. There are Africans, and I saw one lady from Rwanda, Mwiriwe. Um, I saw a brother from, um, from Egypt, Salam Alaikum. And uh, we all are a family. And those of you who belong here, I really do give glory and thanks to the Lord for you. I'm not only Rwandan, I'm now feeling uh, with experience and uh, the, the, the joy of the Lord and the belongingness. We really get a true experience and the, the, draw, the spiritual drawing, the, the life drawing, that really we belong together. We don't know it yet because we have different cultures, we have different um, looks, we, 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 there are lots, lots of things in this world which tend to create differences, but internally, into the, the real humanity, in the, in the creation, in the essence of life, we belong together. 
Uh, I, I really thank you for the opportunity to be with you. Uh, <clears throat> earlier on, I was referring to my brother, Pastor Keith, as uh, Bishop Keith, and, uh, and they were laughing at me. Uh, but uh, in his capacity and his staff and all of you, I really thank you for giving me the opportunity to share not only the, the writings in the Bible, because this you have, but also have it accompanied my experience in my life in it and what I believe Jesus Christ requires of us in it. It's not only the writing, it's the life in the writing. It's a life in the Bible. There are lots of things I can thank you for. You know, when, when a, a person, a Christian, a, a believer comes in a sanctuary like this and see the way you worship, you glorify the holy name of the Lord Jesus Christ, automatically it gives a sign of, of you in that fellowship and your love for him and the place you set for you to worship him. You love him, and I thank you. That's what Paul called the community of saints. But I think always God has more for us to do. We are not there yet. And I come to you, by the way, those who don't know me, I'm Bishop John Ruchahana. I'm from Rwanda, I'm Rwandese by, by, by birth and by nature. I went through different experiences. In 1959, I ran away from the country because there was persecution, chaos, mismanagement of our society, bad governance, big influx, the first biggest influx of refugees in Africa was from Rwanda. And my father and my family were part of that influx of refugees. At that time, we lost a little over in the south alone, 200,000 people perished in 59. And many others died on the run, desperation, trauma, and other things. In 1994, we experienced a genocide which consumed over one million people in a hundred days. All over the hills of Rwanda. I visited the country from Uganda. Actually, the genocide took place when I was in the United States preaching on a, on a preaching mission. I had a three-month preaching mission in, in the United States. And I saw on CNN the, the, the floating dead bodies on, on River Akagera going through floating into Lake Victoria in Uganda, and they were picking the dead bodies and burying them on the, on the shores of Lake Victoria in Uganda. And I stopped the mission. I requested my brethren, I say, allow me to go. Those are my people who are floating over on the lake. So I led a group of pastors in, in, in Rwanda 
at that time, we went through the eastern region and uh, got closer to Kigali. We weren't allowed to go in Kigali because there was parodic uh, at that time in July 94. Uh, there were bullets flying all over, so they couldn't let the, the foreigners into the city because they didn't want any accident to happen to them. So we stopped into, into the eastern part of the city and visited Nyamata. For those of you who have gone to Nyamata, we found uh, mass graves there and uh, machines had put, poured land, poured soil on the, on the dead bodies, a pile of dead bodies all over here and there. And some of the pieces, legs and arms and the heads were now peeping out of the soil. It was a mess. A stink. Stink from my people. Human beings hacked to death by their brothers, their cousins, their in-laws, their neighbors, schoolmates, people they knew. People speak one language. People had one culture, hacking each other to death. As though that was not enough, the world abandoned us. But let me tell you something. God did not abandon us. Can you believe that in a mess like that, the Rwandis themselves, a group of young men and women, fought the, the, that big, huge army, infuriated, engaged by the devil's power, killing people all over, they defeated them. They stopped the genocide. They stopped the genocide along with their allies from all over. Now, what was the issue was, what next after such a destruction? Human beings are destroyed. Infrastructure is destroyed. The economy is destroyed. The social fabric is torn into pieces. And the, the greatest, the, the, the most difficult thing to repair is the social fabric. Not to the infrastructure. Not to the economy. You can build roads, you can build buildings, but building the social fabric. Traumatized. With the pain of the loss. With the pain of the guilty conscience. It's the most difficult. But God did not abandon us. The young men and women stopped the genocide. And in the midst of that brokenness, they, they, they had a vision that they cannot do it the way those defeated did it. What they needed to do is to do it differently. And to do it by the way of the Lord is to unite those fragments. It's to use that, the love, the magnet of love, the magnet of unity, the magnet of reconciliation, the magnet of seeking the togetherness, and then as broken pieces, build a nation again. Because we couldn't get people from elsewhere. Those people we could have appealed to are the people who abandoned us. What else did we expect?
In any case, they needed to see how the Rwandese are going to make it anyway. So, unity and reconciliation as a source where we draw energy, energy to reconstruct, to redo, not only repair, repair the infrastructure, but to repair our, our, our social fabric, redeem our, our human decency, what we call Ubuntu, the humanity, then be able to seek the confidence together to rebuild our economy, to rebuild our infrastructure, to rebuild our national security, to rebuild our governance, to rebuild our justice, because we couldn't afford to do it the way of South Africa. You see, truth and reconciliation without justice will be short-lived for us. So we had to establish justice. But our justice needed to be restorative because those who perpetrated the genocide, being a part of Rwanda, we needed to restore them, but challenge, expose, punish the crime in them. And that choice was not an easy choice, but it was the only best choice left for us. Reconciliation and a nurture of our unity. Build equal opportunity equal rights. And then whatever we do, we do it for all uh, the benefit of all. If we build roads, it's for all of us. If we build infrastructure, if we build the economy, if we build the security, it's for, for all of us. But what is important? Us. Us. And you can tell your neighbor, us. Us together. So sometimes what we suffered is me and him, be and her. But this time we have a challenge in Rwanda. We are challenged in Rwanda to know it's not the Hutu, it's not the Tutsi, it's not the Tua, it's us. Us together in order to establish, build a destiny, in order to establish a foundation into which the generations after us are going to build on. We cannot afford only to leave them, pass the trauma onto them, the hatred onto them, suspicion onto them. We need to protect ourselves, restore ourselves. We needed to, and also protect generations, prepare for the generations after us. So I'm standing here from Rwanda, a bishop, not standing on the grounds of strength, but I stand on that history to tell you that by the grace 
and engagement of the Rwandese and the planification and the strategy, the strategy of the Rwandan people and the implementation, the implementation of Rwandan people, the engagement of the Rwandan people, being guided by, by the will not to do it like those who did it before. Even us Christians being challenged and embarrassed by what the Christians of the time did to ignore, to keep quiet, not to speak, not to redeem in their time and let the genocide take course. We are also caught into that embarrassment to join others, to seek to do it better, to seek to have a better approach. So I'm not coming here to, to, to uh, standing on the, on the platform of holiness. I'm coming here to tell you from the humanity, from that engagement, from that willingness to change, from that struggle to make it better. Rwanda today, can now, I can now smile. I'm, I'm telling you the truth. I now, I now smile. Having, 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 having the bearing of the stink, having the bearing of the losses from my own family and from, uh, from what I saw today, when I see the unity, what the unity, what reconciliation can do, the restoration of a, a, a nation, what people thought would never be a nation again is not only a nation, but it's an exemplary nation. People are coming to look at Rwanda and see how can we do it the way you do it. The economy is, is, is growing progressively at our pace, progressively. Infrastructure is growing. International community coming in Rwanda and setting international programs and the African programs, the, the, the African trade based in Rwanda, the IT programs and IT setting, Rwanda being the hub. Rwanda is becoming the hub, not because we are in the holiness of our past, but into the, the humility to, to let the newness of life coming to us. That humility to engage. And thus, I ask permission to not to dwell much on our history. Not to dwell much on Rwandan history. There is much I can share with you. With what we have experienced, what we've done, but I want you to let me share from the Bible. And I want to share from John chapter 5. What came into us, what God is imparting into us, what God is imparting into the church, what God is speaking and challenging into me, I want you to possibly do a diagnosis with me, do a check with me, and maybe not only you and me, but also ourselves, each individually, we see if we have it the way of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, 
After this, there was a feast. This is John 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is, there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in the Hebrew Bethsaida, having the five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the water to be stirred up by the angel. In these lay, excuse me, for an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water, then whoever stepped first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever diseases he had or she had. But the she is not in the Bible. I, I added it deliberately. In Rwanda, we are very, we are gender sensitive. <laughs> now, a certain man was there who had infirmity 38 years. Had infirmity for 38 years in the temple. When Jesus saw him lying there, and he knew that he had already been in that condition for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be well? Listen to the answer, and tell me if it is a correct answer. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no money to put me into the pool whether the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps in before me. Is that the right answer? <laughs> Do you want to be well? The answer is yes or no. <laughs> and... and uh, and, and, and don't, you know, I sometimes I'm like this man. Sometimes also I, I fidget with answers. <laughs> you know, I can't blame this man. Do you know, have you, have you ever had pain? And you have pain so much that when somebody asks you something, you say, but why, why, what is he saying? Have you, you know, brother, I want you to help me. See, the answer was not right. But Jesus was seeing beyond the answer. 
And those of you in Jesus Christ should be having the compassion which will read the amount, the extent of pain, the desperation, the lostness, and you go beyond the answers of the people, their look, their attitude, and you go beyond them and redeem. You know, Jesus, Jesus had such a diagnostic power, and that power is entrusted into you. It's the power that is passed on to you in the spirit of the Lord, in the spirit promised by Pentecost. You are people of the Pentecost. This is your age. This is your gift. This is your, this is your, 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 your talent. This is something you need to employ. But sometimes we get limited by the wrong answers and we act on the wrong answers. We don't act according to the required compassion invested into us in the name of Jesus. You know, Jesus saw poor answer, but the groaning of being well is there. How can, how can I be well? You know, Jesus was the 30 years, you know. You remember that? Jesus was in his early 30s. Beaming with his youth, but beaming also with the compassion, beaming with the youth, but also being burnt with the will to do good and to save and to redeem. And he said, do you want to be well? All the 30 years in the temple, Priests passing by you, scribe passing by you, all these Christians passing by you, all these people in the temple overlooking. But by the way, let me ask you, have you ever looked at somebody really who is groaning, but, but you are busy? And he, <laughs> have you done it? Eh? Yeah. But you see, this, it was done on this man for 38 years, lying down groaning in the temple. People for years groaning in our communities, in the families, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in, in, in the community, everywhere, groaning for not only 38 years, maybe for 40, 100, and they are groaning and they need to be delivered and you are passing by. I am passing by. Groaning. Crippled. People think that uh, groan, <coughs> cripple, infirmity is only physical. Hmm? Infirmity is only physical. But it's not only physical. It can be spiritual infirmity. It can be social infirmity. It can be, it can be anything that limits a person to get into the fullness, into the fullness of God's purpose into him or her. And Christians pass by. And Christians realize it. Christians do realize it and pass by. They don't even get the attention to do the diagnosis. They don't even understand how many years people have been groaning. They don't even have a moment, a minute to ask and say hello. Simply because somebody looks shabby. 
but the soul is not shabby. The image of God in her, in him, is not shabby. You know, check on Jesus and see whatever he did. Examples all over. He didn't hear everybody, but he gave set examples. You know, the, the woman, the woman who lost a son, the only hope of the woman, the, the widow, the onerous, the onerous source of her, her survival, her recreation, uh, her, her, her name, her, the survival of the name, the survival of the family, the groaning of the, the, the woman, the pain. And Jesus saw her crushed by pain of loss. Then Jesus saw the anguish of the woman and he touched the coffin. He raised the boy and he gave back to the mother. Compassion. Deep compassion. The compassion of Jesus when he saw a multitude following him for, for days, they were not being fed, they only craved for the spiritual satisfaction. They needed to know the truth of life and he had compassion. And he told his disciples, feed them. It's like if, if the Lord told the kids to feed us all now, give us lunch, and he hasn't prepared for us. Then he said, we, we don't have food. There is, no, there, is, there is no restaurant here, Jesus. Where do we go buy food? <laughs> then he said, what do you have? A few pieces of bread and fish. He multiplied all of them ate at their satisfaction, compassion. So my issue is, how much compassion do I have? Can we have a minute to assess the levels of our compassion with the infirmity around us? How much time, how much will to diagnose the situations around us? What do we need to engage? And how much do we have to engage? And how do we let go in this engagement? And, in, and more to that, Jesus said, rise, rise and go. Rise and pick your bed and go. This new King James Version say, calls it a bed. But some other versions I consulted, they say a mat. Roll it, carry it, and go. And the man did it. He was no longer limping, was no longer crippled. He was in the fullness of life. It didn't mean much for him to carry whatever he was carrying, but he was rejoicing, he was whole, he was made whole, and he was giving God all the glory in his Jewish language, in Hebrew. And he went into the temple with his bed on his head. It doesn't matter, he had life. It doesn't matter what people do if they go out witnessing for the glory of the Lord, for, for, the, for the transformation, for the redemption they get from the saints, wherever. 
However, they rejoice in the Lord for what God has done in their lives. They glorify the Lord. Then they said, you are carrying a bed on, on Sabbath, man. He didn't know, but did, did, did it matter for him? 38 years lying down in the temple? You tell him, you tell him about the Sabbath? I'm alive, I'm healed, I'm whole, I'm, I'm joy. I have the fullness of life, and I have been lying there 38 years. Now you are talking about the Sabbath? Who told you to carry them? I say, I don't know. I don't even care. He only made me well and left. I don't even know who he is. But I am well. And Jesus did not mind really to, for that young man to know what Jesus cared for is for him to have life. But sometimes when we do anything good, we want that man to take a picture of us. Oh, it is Bishop Ruchahana. Oh, take a picture with me. <laughs> the man said, I don't know. I don't know him. I, he, he, what I know, he made me well, and I am well. Look at me. I, I can jump. Look at me. I'm no longer on the bed. I'm no longer lying down. I'm no longer waiting for somebody to help me. I was neglected for too long. Now I am alive. You talk about the Sabbath and you talk about the bed on my head. I am alive. Hallelujah. But later on, Jesus went into the temple and found him. And he said, hey, Look, you are well now, eh? Be careful. Don't sin again. Least the worst come to you. Be well. Keep up. Keep connected. Don't sin again. Then the man realized it was Jesus. So he went back and he told them, I, I told you, I told half story. Now I have another piece to give you. See, it's Jesus of Nazareth. You know, sometimes we really need to confess Jesus. You know, let me tell you, the, the temptation, I don't know whether you have similar weakness like me. Do you know that sometimes we humanly want to inherit the credit? The credit is for Jesus. Not us. He, he enables us to do what we do. But people want to own the credit, and it's, it's not right. The man went back and said, hey, it's not my health, it's not me. It's, it's, it's Jesus of Nazareth who made me well. Then he started persecuting him. Problem. My problem. Culture versus Redemption. Do we do, do you see the fight between our culture and our mission to redeem other people? Yes. The conflict between culture and my parents 
what I inherited from Abraham, from what I inherited from Moses in the law, with our additions on the law, limiting us to do the will of God. Do you understand my, 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 my challenge? People who will be rejoicing because somebody is restored to life, they are complaining because of the Sabbath. Culture. How much does the culture limit me and how much does the culture limit you? How much does the culture limit us? How much do we get enslaved by the culture and we keep people into infirmity for years and years and they die there and some die there? And we get to the excuse to say, we are not responsible. Hence, we create the untouchables. Untouchables. Untouchables created in the image of God. Untouchables, the children of God. Untouchables, the purpose for which you are on a mission. We are on a mission as a church. We are on a mission as a people. You are on a mission uh, to redeem our brothers and sisters who are caught up into infirmity and who have the power from the Lord. Why do we keep them there? How do we account? For that pain, how do we account for the for, for 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 the continuity of lying in the temple, in, in the suburbs of the temple, in the, in in our homes, in our, in in our neighborhoods, and hence pass that on to the generations after us. We need to do. The will of God in our time at a given moment. I want to encourage you. You know, there is the, the, I have good news for all of us. Jesus. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 and 14 and 16, says this about you. Every one of us, about us. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be re-seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men and women. Women is my ad again. 
Because men in our society also have shoes. <laughs> trample on, trample on. You are the salt. But if the salt loses its flavor. By the way, you know, you do, the salt does two major things. The salt gives the taste. You make the world taste good. The relationship of the people, by the way. But, you know, if there is anything I crave for, is to be loved. You know, somebody who lost an opportunity at an early age to, to be in my country, to grow in my country, somebody at an early age uh, was discontinued in, a, in, my, in my school life. Um, somebody in, in my early age became a refugee in a foreign land. Uh, somebody who lost, uh, who, who, uh, who was faced by all these troubles in life. I, I really, like any other people, I crave for, for, for that love. Do, have, uh, has any, does anybody feel it like me? Yeah, do we, do we crave for being loved? But, but it, that's you, you are the salt. And what the salt does is to create the test of relationship. You are the salt. The test in humanity is to create that relationship. You cause the world to love, to, to, to feel connected, to feel the oneness of life. You are that and you are the source to deliver that to the world. Two, the purpose of the salt is to preserve the society today, our societies, our communities, our families, our marriages, our children, our neighborhood, our schools are disintegrating. They are, they are being fragmented. They are being broken. They are broken into pieces. And you are meant to preserve this society. You are preservatives. How much are we doing it? How much time do we go into it? You are the salt of the earth. Congratulations. <laughs> I congratulate you because this is a gift. Let me, you know, if you give me a gift, I will lift you up. But God has given you a gift, which is a great gift to preserve and to give the test. But how much do we do it? How much do we pay attention to that? How much do we honor that calling, that divine calling? How much do we even know we are gifted, we have it, it's in our power to apply it and to make the whole revived and safe and redeemable? How much do we do it? How much are we even aware? Two, you are the light of the world. A light put on a hill, a home, a city, Built on a hill cannot be hidden. A lamp lit to, to bring light in a house cannot be put into 
a bushel or a basket. It is meant to be in the open and give light to the whole house. So you are the light. Shine in the name of Jesus. And you are not only the light by, 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 by connection into the socket. You are the light because the divine power flows into you through faith and the relationship with Jesus Christ. Then you light in your relationship, you light in, in your compassion, you light in your engagement, you, write, you, you light in your redeeming outreach, you light, you become the light into the world and the people emulate you. My brothers, I implore you in the name of Jesus. It's not us. It's him doing it in us. Jesus said in John 14, believe in God and believe in me. Then you become witnesses of us and keep doing it. While I go to my father and prepare you rooms. I was telling people in the morning, God, in his gracious mercy, he has not yet given me my key. You know, I, you know I, I believe very strongly I have a room. And I will go into that room one time, one, I don't know when. But before I go into the room, there is a purpose for you. Why are you here? Why are you here and you are the light? Why are you here and you are the salt? Why are you here and God cries to you, calls you to have that compassion, to be, to be a redeeming agent in your family, in your neighborhood, in your country, in your church. People are having infirmity. God wants you and yet he encourages you. Say, don't be worried but believe in me. Don't be scared. Believe in me. Believe in the Father and me. We together, we shall empower you. We together, we are going to give you the power. You can even do greater things than I have done. This is Jesus telling you. So I encourage you, my brothers and sisters, please, let's do the will of God. Let's live for him. Jesus loves you. Jesus is not playing. Jesus is not, you know, uh, we have a saying in, our, in my language uh, that uh, we call, we call to Konokeshwa, you, 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 you give somebody the opportunity to smell the food, but you don't give him the food. <laughs> you, you get closer, you get closer to the kitchen to smell the food but you don't give him a chance to eat the food. Jesus is not only giving you the smell. He's giving you the life. He's giving you the power. The power to do it. The power to, to be it. Be satisfied with it and share with others. But you give what you know. You give what you feel. You transform what you've been. What, you give the power of transformation that you experienced in life. And Paul, in the Corinthians 
Second Corinthians chapter 5, again. He calls you ambassadors of Christ. And this time to reconcile the people with himself and with each other. Reconcile us, your ambassadors, each one of you, each one of us, every one of us is an ambassador of Christ Jesus on earth, in our communities, in our families, in our churches, we are ambassadors to reconcile people with God and to each other. And Paul does even reveal the mystery that Jesus, who knew no sin, became a sin on the cross so that you and me become the righteousness of God. But how much do we know? How much do you know? You are the righteousness of God on a mission in this world. Would you kindly, would you kindly, I beseech you, would you kindly examine and see how much are these truths measuring in your life? How much compassion? How much ability to diagnose what you see around you? How much ambassadorial work you carry? How much redemptive work you are carrying in you? How much time do you have? How much do you train your eyes not to overlook those who crave for your help and you are rich? I'll invite you to pray with me. If you don't mind, let's have a moment of prayer. Pray for ourselves individually and pray for the Church of Christ. I call upon my, my brother to come over to help us into this prayer. I personally repented on behalf of my church in 95 after the genocide. Looking back, to the silence of my church, into the building up of the, you know, the genocide does not strike like thunder. It is prepared, it is, uh, it is developed, it is planned, it is exercised, and, and very eventually done. And when they do it, they try to deny it. And my church kept quiet all that time. And I stood with many others, my brothers and sisters, leaders of churches, different churches, in a public, in a, in, a, in a big convention. We repented because we inherited a church which was silent and did not take the work of redemption and did not speak into the evil which was building in the country for decades. Accomplices by silence. Accomplices, when the families are, broke, are being broken, marriages are breaking, children are, are, are running away from their parents. We need to pray. 
We need to seek the revival of the Lord Jesus into our hearts and use us as his instruments for the, re- the work of redemption. It's difficult to even form words because there's so many things in my heart. <clears throat> Sometimes it's hard to be a pastor. In this cultural moment, it's been difficult for me. I hear the things that people say about me. Some of them write about them. Some of them filter back to me. They say things like, keeps against politicians or politics and this or that thing. And simple truth of the matter is, is I'm against division, polarization, humiliation. I'm against all of the things that would bring division in our country. So the next time somebody says something about who they think I am, ask them if they ever ask me who I am. Or what I believe. I believe that Bishop John is here for such a time as this. It is a pivotal moment for us as a church. God has given us influence. But the work of redemption and reconciliation, and I need you to hear this, and hopefully it is being recorded. Redemption and reconciliation doesn't happen through one person alone. It's when we decide as a people that we're gonna be agents of reconciliation in our spheres of influence, in our homes, that we don't let rhetoric overtake our compassion for one another. There is this say, there is this phrase that has been popularized. <laughs> I got to tell you that I said to Bishop John while we had dinner, and I even said it in Rwanda, but I said it again at breakfast. I'm sorry. I said, "What did you do when you got tired?" And I was expecting a fatherly hug and some compassion, and his eyes got steely, and he says, "You don't get tired. What do you mean you get tired?" You don't get tired. I was thinking, sorry. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) There's a term that's been coined over the last five to six years called compassion fatigue. It is a term that describes, here's the definition. The physical, emotional, and psychological impact of helping others, often through experiences of stress and trauma. So then we just get tired, we just get overwhelmed. But, but the simple truth of the matter is, is, Bishop John, in his work, he didn't tell you this, was persecuted, that his own people came against him, that he was ostracized, and that his life was under threat. And yet every day he got up to to be an agent of reconciliation, an ambassador for Jesus Christ, to restore his country for the generations that will come. He's 76 years old and he just started another ministry. I looked at him, I said, you're never gonna retire. Just started something new. Most of us don't have compassion fatigue. We've just become cynical. It's not fatigue. Fatigue comes when you're doing the work. 
day in, day out, hour after hour, minute after minute, and you're living among. Doc, listen to me. How many of you know that people that do work in hospitals have fatigue hour after hour after hour, yes? Mother Teresa, compassion fatigue. She lived among lepers. We, we don't have compassion fatigue. We've just become very cynical in our day and age, and we need Jesus to help us be compassionate to, as Bishop said, the untouchables in our culture. Everybody has a name for them. We all know who they are. Bishop, I can't close this service. We need something that you bring to us. Stand to your feet with me all over the Can you still stand and then we pray together? Please. Dear loving Lord and Father, <clears throat> we are servants, your sons and your daughters, your children, your family. We thank you for the adoption through Jesus Christ. The Jews called us foreigners, but through Jesus Christ, through his cross, we are members of the family. But Lord, our faith in you is not for our selfish purposes. It's not only our enjoyment and it's not even for our selfish intent but it's for a mission oriented purposes for the redemption of the world for the blessing of those who need that blessing our hands on your, on your sake and dear loving Lord and Father you know you know who we are, you know our strengths, you know our weaknesses, and you know the levels of our abilities to fall after you and to serve you. I pray in the name of Jesus that you fill us with, with the compassion. You fill us with your love. You fill us with the deeper knowledge to be able to assess situations and do it right and do it on time. Give us the ability not only to surrender for the soothing of our souls, but the obedience to do it after you, and to do it with you, and to do it your way, and to do it for the kingdom. I pray in the name of Jesus that every one of us be empowered, Lord Jesus Christ, to be the witnesses of your grace, the witnesses of your power and be in touch in your spirit, in your relationship, and in your obedience. Dear loving Lord and Father, we pray that you continue to bless us, unite us, give us the love for each other, give us the team spirit, but give us also the joy to live together in your name and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Come on, give Bishop John a big hand. So let's 
make sure that we are not simply attending church, but that we recognize we are the church as we go. Let's not weaponize the truth against people who are broken and outside our faith and maybe act in a way that's not in accordance to our faith. Let's not expect from people who don't know Jesus the values of people who do know him. Let's be compassionate as we go, amen? Go with God, God's gonna go with you, we love you.